Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. What should we call an aging adult? That's a question posed to nearly 650 people by the York County Community Foundation's Embracing Aging Initiative. The results are in, and we'll hear today from Kathy Bollinger, Managing Director of Embracing Aging. Ms. Bollinger, welcome to the program. Good morning. If you have a question or a comment, we'd like you to join in in this conversation once you hear some of the terms that uh, a lot of people would prefer that we use for aging adults. 1-800-729-7532 is the number to call, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right, the survey was called A Name for the ages. What was the idea behind it? Sure. So when York County Community Foundation's Embracing Aging started almost three years ago, we got pushed back about the name Embracing Aging. We quickly learned that people view aging as only an impairment or decline. And those ageist attitudes really impact every aspect of our everyday lives. So we wanted to take a different spin on the election this year and get people thinking about stereotypes associated with different words or phrases or terms, if you will, that we call aging adults. So we decided to run our own election campaign called A Name for the Ages. Ageist attitude, though. What, what do you mean by that? Sure. So it's it's interesting because as people get older, lots of times people uh, will have negative thoughts about that. They'll view aging as only something that is a bad thing or a negative thing. And uh, sometimes people look at uh, older adults in terms of, hey, well, you know, I'm going to measure their worth and value only on the things that they can still do or um, versus maybe their wisdom, their collective experience, their who they are as a person. So we're trying to address that and we're trying to help people understand that it, that's not okay because that really impacts uh, our attitudes around you know who we are in a community and it doesn't make it a welcoming community for people who are aging. You know, that's I, I don't want to say it's strictly unique to the United States and our culture, but it is fairly unique in that uh, there are other cultures, other countries where uh, just as you said, people as they age are looked upon. Uh, you know, people, younger people, will go to them and meet with them and ask them questions to try to get to try to tap some of that wisdom that they have, some of those life experiences that they have. Yes, that's correct. And uh, you know, it's 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 interesting because when you think back to like the industrial revolution and the changes that have happened since then, in terms of. Um, printing and, and being able to capture stories and experiences, you don't have to rely as much on people telling stories. So therefore, um, people uh, who are older and being able to share those stories and pass them down, they're already recorded. So they're in books, they're uh, written down. And then, of course, as things progressed over the years with technology, people just don't have a need maybe to have to talk to someone who's older to get what happened. They feel that they can look it up. And, and uh, therefore, that's part of the reason why I think the United States, we view things more as, uh, you know, we don't view older adults and the stories and their wisdoms as much as maybe some other countries. Well, hey. So basically what you're saying is communication and advances in technology is one of the reasons that the United States and Americans don't value that wisdom as much. But, I mean, some of those those technology and communications, most of them, exist in other countries. Why is it that the United States, is it because life is moving so fast here that uh, there's an attitude amongst younger people? And by younger people, I'm talking about just younger than, um, you know, older adults, uh, that 
well, you know, they're breaking down physically, that the life has changed so much, they won't have that experience, that knowledge that we do today. They can't relate. Well, that's part of it. But I also think there's there's just this fear because people don't know what happens as you age. And and therefore, one of the ways for us to kind of address fears is to kind of put people out of our minds, out of our thoughts, making invisible, because then ourselves, we're in denial that we ourselves are aging and we don't have to deal with it, if you will. And I don't like that term, deal with it at right, all. Right, but yet that's right. many times how people view, um, you know, addressing and working with uh, communities on, on making them age friendly. They feel like older adults are something you need to deal with. Mm. Uh, we kind of got off the track a little bit, but I wanted to have part of that conversation. We're going to talk about stereotypes a little bit later in the program. But getting back to a name for the ages, and I, you've touched on this and explained it a little bit, but I want to push a little bit more. Uh, why is it that we seem to have more difficulty uh, coming up with a term to identify older adults? Well, it's interesting because I think it's based on who you are and where you're at, and it's a very individual thing in terms of of what you want to be called. As we learned in our campaign, there are some people who like the term senior because senior in uh, raised to them that, hey, when you're a senior in high school, you're a top dog. Senior in college, you're a top dog. So, hey, I like that because it means that I kind of raised a, a high in the ranks. But then for that very reason, people were like, well, wait a minute. I don't like that term senior because... A senior, an older person doesn't outrank a younger person. You know, everyone has value and purpose. Other people then look at senior and say, you know what? I love that term because if it has anything to do with the discount, I'll take it. <laughs> but other people are like, hey, you know what? I don't like that term at all because it implies senior moment, forgetful moment. No, not for me. Or, hey, I don't have dinner, eat dinner at 4 p.m., so senior is not for me. So it just really gets people thinking about the stereotypes and labels associated with different words and phrases. Well, you, you kind of let the cat out of the bag here, but uh, in the survey, a name for the ages senior was what came out on top. It was. However, I got to tell you, for halfway through the campaign, older adult was in the lead. So for your listeners, let me share that what we did was we created uh, three candidates that we put out for people to vote on. They were elder, older adult, and senior. But then we also gave people a chance to weigh in by voting for other and to tell us what phrase or term they would like. And for each of those terms, we created those man-in-the-street type videos where we had people in your county advocating for and against those very terms to help get people thinking about the reasons why they may choose or not choose a certain term. So yeah, after halfway through the campaign, I thought older adult was going to continue taking it, but senior came in towards the end and uh, came out on top with 35% of the votes. But there really was no consensus. Uh, senior did come in uh, as the top vote getter with the 35%, but older adult had 30%, so they were very close, mm -hmm. and elder had 22%. Other, and we'll talk about some of the others that were suggested, uh, had 13%. So it seems as though even the, the 650 people that you interviewed, that there was no real consensus even there. Sure. And and we didn't like specifically interview and set out to we just marketed this throughout the county and invited people uh, to come and vote. So whether it was through social media, through email blasts, through word of mouth uh, presentations that we did out in the community, we wanted people, anyone over the age of 18 to weigh in. So we were... Um, 
uh, you know, it's not like we targeted specific people to ask them. But you're right. There wasn't a clear like, wow, this is the, the term. Another thing that we did was we also looked at the age of the people who voted. And uh, we asked people if they wanted to provide their age just so that we could kind of see if there would be a trend based on age. And the median age for people who voted or participated in the campaign who shared their age was uh, 56. But for senior, it was 60. And for older adult, 55. And for elder, 54. So I'm not sure if maybe, you know, senior kind of tended up just a little bit in terms of age. You know, uh, if, if there's anything telling there or not. Okay, so we want to hear from the audience. Uh, which term do you prefer? 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at org. I mean, there, there, you know, the three choices there were senior, uh, older adult, and elder but maybe there's a, a, another that uh, you would like to suggest uh, for, you know, and I have to ask this, Kathy, uh, at what age does a person reach to be, be called one of these uh, one of these terms? Yeah, again, that's all very individual as well. Uh, for our Embracing Aging initiative, we're focusing on people age 50 and older because at age 50, you might be caring for older relatives or friends or neighbors uh, who you need to be starting to think about uh, their quality of life as they age. But you yourself at age 50 might be starting to think, okay, what comes next for me? And what is it that I'd like to be able to do in the community? So for Embracing aging, it's 50 and older. But, you know, that's a very personal thing. And uh, we'll let that up to the viewers, too. Age is not, you know, age is just a number is what some people say, right? That's right. And, and you know, something else that has changed a whole lot about our society is that, uh, you know, life expectancy 50 years ago, you know, if you made it to 60, you know, 60, 62 was probably life expectancy. Today, it's in the 70s. Women, we know, live longer than men mm-hmm. on average. Uh, so there would be a lot of people who would say, 50? I'm just getting started. I'm still working. I'm still years away from retirement. I, I told you a story that uh, the first time I had someone in like their upper 20s say this older gentleman over here, Mr. Lamar, I was like, what? <laughs> Who's he talking about? Yeah. You know, and, and then I realized that, okay, I guess 50 is uh, in some people's minds, but for some people, 40 is probably uh, considered older. Right, but it's all in context because when uh, you have a 58-year-old standing beside a 20-year-old, the 58-year-old right. is older, right? right? But it is all in context. You know, going back to what you were saying about life inspection expectancy, I think it was in 1900, it was 49, and today it's 79. So, you know, yeah, at age 49 years ago, <laughs> very different than today. I would have been long gone. <laughs> You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Our guest during this portion of the program is Kathy Bollinger, Managing Director of Embracing Aging, an initiative of the York County Community Foundation. And they just put out the results for a survey that they did, a name for the ages of what people who are old or adults, what they like to be called. And uh, the number one name was, or name, I don't know, term, was seniors. And uh, coming in second was uh, older adults and elder was third. 
And if you have a question or comment, maybe uh, a suggestion you'd like to make, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. I know a lot of you seniors are on Facebook today. The kids don't like it, but uh, we are. So uh, if you'd like to make a suggestion on Facebook, you can do that on WITF's Facebook page, too. That's 1-800-729-7532. Let's take a call from Bill in Lancaster. Bill, you're on the air. Hey, Bill, you there? Okay, let me just see if Bill is. I guess maybe he is not. Let's go to... Here he is. Bill, there you go. There you go, Bill. I hit the wrong line. Go ahead. Okay. (laughs) You know I like to look at both sides of an issue. Yes, that's a good thing. To paraphrase the Bard of Avon, uh, a rose by any other name would smell as sweetly. And I think that as a society, we are focusing way too much energy on minutia about, oh, should we call somebody this or that or this? And we avoid the big problems. I, as a senior, couldn't call, couldn't care less if you called me an old fart, as long as I got the services that I'm entitled to without having to go to extraordinary measures. You know what? May I go, go ahead, Kathy, sure. yeah. You know what, Bill? You're exactly right. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this campaign to get people thinking about uh, stereotypes around aging terms. And here's the reason, because as I mentioned, ageist attitudes, they really do permeate everything that we uh, do. And therefore, those ageist attitudes really can impact a community from uh, its plans in long-range planning for housing or transportation system or you know anything having to do with services for older adults. So one of the things we're trying to do through Embracing Aging is to get people to have what we call an age-inclusive thinking uh, lens, where they're really taking the needs and the perspectives of aging adults into consideration in anything that they do in order to ensure that the community is a great place to age for all people, all ages. So I hear you. You're exactly right. And But that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this campaign, because we certainly wanted to get people thinking about that. Well, I full well agree with everything you say, but I've seen it too much where everything gets perverted to, oh, should we call him a senior or an elder? And the fact of the matter is most people don't care. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for your call. You know, I want to follow up on a couple of these names. Senior, a few years ago, seniors would be referred to as senior citizens. What's the difference between a senior and a senior citizen? I think, again, it's just a preferred term. Um, You know, do you want to be called senior, senior citizen, elder? Some people think elder and elderly are too closely related. I think, again, it's just a, a preference. I was a little surprised that elderly was in there because that seems to be one that gets this uh, picture in someone's mind of someone in failing health who I saw one of the comments was, you know, somebody said that reminds me of someone has a cane and a walker or something like that. Sure. So the candidate that we put out was elder, but you're exactly right. Some people did not choose that because they felt that it was too closely related to elderly, which is frail. Lots of time people think frail, using a cane, that sort of thing thing. But I don't know if you and your listeners might remember when we talked with Dr. Bill Thomas, I think it was at the beginning of this year when he was going to be coming down to York County for a talk. And and Dr. Thomas is a geriatrician. He's a uh, author. He wrote the book Second Wind. And he was uh, talking about life after adulthood. And he has something that he likes to call elderhood. And he was a big advocate and is a big advocate for the term elder because it truly implies wisdom and experience 
reverence and respect, and it's re- a revered term. So that was one of the things that he likes. He likes to refer to aging adults using that term. And in York County, after he came to talk, after that 30 inches of snow, we had to cancel I in January that, yeah. and then have yeah. him come in May. So when he came in May to talk, one of the things after he uh, was done... Uh, lots of people were like, okay, let's start using the term elder. Let's start using the term elder. And we're like, no, 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 no. It, you know, we, we want to just have people weigh in and, and use it as a conversation. Let's go to Meredith in Lancaster. Meredith, you're on the air. Hi, Scott. Hi, um, great conversation. I have three quick points. I am 36 years old. It's been a while since I've been a senior in college. It's a while before I'll be a senior citizen. But I love that you asked what um, people wanted to be called, because when people call me ma'am at the restaurant, even at 36 years old, I think I bristle, so I think it's important (laughs) to ask people what they think. And I'm also reminded of um, Diane Reem, who is on uh, WITF each day. She lost her mother very young, and the panelist is talking about we don't quite know what aging looks like. Diane Reem chose to age gracefully because she wanted her children to see what aging looks like because she didn't have that opportunity with her mother and I thought that was a really beautiful way of sort of embracing aging and becoming a senior and just finally I have um, a new small business in Lancaster called Life and Legacies where we aim to interview um, people primarily older people about their lives and their life stories and I think it's really encouraging for young people to hear that older people have gone through similar experiences that they're going through right now. We didn't really reinvent the wheel just because you're in your teens or 20s or um, young adulthood. Um, the older people have done this too. So those seniors really do have that experience. Meredith, I, I, I agree with you 100% that, uh, you know, and I, I, I myself, we all, when we were young, have had that that feeling that, oh, dad and mom, they've never gone through this. You know, life's different. I'm unique in some way. And then as you do get older and you hear the story, you just say, huh, you know, they did. <laughs> It takes you a while to, to understand that uh, it's not just the parents, but people uh, who, that are older. And I, I think that life and legacies, I think it's a great idea. Meredith, thank you very much for calling in. Thank you. All right, let's go to Mary in Carlisle. Let's see what line is Mary on. Mary, you're on the air. Hi, Hi. how are you? I'm doing well. I'm 65. Just started Medicare, and I had a comment, not a question, and it had to do with uh, something that was said earlier about why perhaps in this country we don't have as much respect for our, our elders or seniors, whatever you wish to call them. And that comment was hearing a lot from my children and their friends who are all mostly in their 20s and 30s. They have an economic resentment towards seniors whom they feel are taking a much larger portion of the pie than they will ever get. Hmm. So it comes down to, you know, one of the things we just went through with uh, this election campaign, uh, many people thinking that their children or the children thinking that they won't do as well as their parents or their grandparents. Yes. And in fact, I was, you know, interested enough to look that up as an accountant. I went ahead and calculated to say, you know, well, they paid into these systems. But in fact, the amount of the pay-in is significantly less, even when you round it up in inflated dollars, than what they're getting out, particularly in Medicare, because when they were paying in, there was a much higher rate of people paying in, so they had to pay in much less. 
And in fact, the calculation I came up with is a 90-year-old person today, even if they earned the maximum amount through all the time that they were paying into Medicare, paid in less than $10,000 over their entire life to Medicare. Hey, well, thank you very much for your call. What about that, uh, Kathy? Not as far as the Medicare part goes, but as far as resentment, did you see anything, any kind of resentment from younger people toward older people? Not in uh, this election campaign. Uh, we asked people to share their comments and their reasons why they voted what they did, and we did not have anyone share um, anything, you know, regarding that. Can you see something like that, though? Well, I, I guess there's a possibility for people to view things like that. But one of the things that I'd like to suggest to everybody uh, in terms of ways to influence and break down uh, ageism thoughts is to do your research, do your learning, learn about, you know, what's out there and and and, and uh, understand the issues. And don't just take what people might say or you might read in one source as the answer. You know, really do research about it to help break down ageist attitudes. Let's go to Ellie in York. Ellie, you're on the air. Oh, hey, how are you? I'm doing Hello. well. Yeah, you're on the I, air. I'm Sorry, the, the static confused me. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I'm 53, and my two-year-old is in the back seat here. Ah. <laughs> oh. My concern is with aging very gracefully. I don't want her to be ashamed to be seen with me in 13 years. <laughs> embrace your aging, Ellie. Embrace it. Oh, I'm, I'm doing my best. Um, but what really has me fired on this conversation, though, is, is not about the names. It's about the generations. The, they, the generations are much more segregated now than they used to be. My in-laws live in an absolutely gorgeous place over in Lancaster. It's a warehouse full of grandmas and grandpas, and why do we not build our daycare centers so they're interacting with our senior centers? Great idea. Thank you very much for your call. You know, that is a great idea. And I can tell you, early on in our Embracing Aging work, we did a survey uh, assessing attitudes around aging, and we learned that one of the best ways to truly impact attitudes regarding aging is to have quality intergenerational experiences. So uh, that is something that we are always advocating for. I have to tell you, my parents live in a 55-plus community. That was their choice, and that's wonderful. It's concerning to me, though, for, for myself, I don't want to live in a 55 plus community because I do want to have opportunities to engage with people of all ages, to have conversations with people of all ages. So I hear what she's saying, and I think that there, the trend is definitely that you're going to be seeing a lot more intergenerational op opportunities happening uh, across the country, and definitely something we're working towards in York County. Let's take a call from Hyam in York. Hyam, you're on the air. Thank you. Uh, great conversation, and I just wanted to say that uh, most of my adult life before 50, uh, I looked forward to 50 years old because I had the conception in my mind that 50 was a great age of combining experience and knowledge and also status. So I always looked forward. I'm eight years beyond that now, and I'm somewhat disappointed, not because it hasn't realized. Uh, I, I, I feel good about being past 50. But I just enjoyed looking forward to 50 for so long that uh, having passed it now, uh, it, it doesn't have the same uh, allure. But uh, I grew up in a family where uh, stories were told, handed down from mm -hmm. generation to generation. And we looked with great reverence to our elders, 
and to uh, our preceding generations, whether they were surviving or not, uh, there was a tremendous body of knowledge and connection to the old world, to historical events, to other ages, and uh, that made aging uh, very positive in, in my experience, and I hope in my children and my grandchildren's experience. I just want to put in a vote for elder. Uh, elder is a fabulous word. In ancient Greek, it's presbyteros. It means uh, and not just, it doesn't really attach to a certain age group, but to an acquired wisdom, knowledge. It's translated uh, differently, but it could be translated professor, minister, uh, priest. Uh, so the idea is that you've achieved a depth of knowledge and insight uh, that is of benefit to the rest of humanity. Mm -hmm. And by the way, there's a whole Christian denomination named for elders. Right. The Presbyterian Church uh, is named for elders, so I vote for elders. All right. I thank you very much for your call. Very thoughtful. Uh, I mean, just yes. perfect. <laughs> exactly. And first of all, I, I encourage you to think of another age now that you're looking forward to, uh, beyond 50. As you had mentioned, you can wait to get to age 50. Think beyond that now and look at all the possibilities ahead for that new age. But I really like what he said in terms of the storytelling and and as families are gathering in a couple of days to celebrate this Thanksgiving holiday, yeah. it wouldn't it be wonderful to ask to have the different generations share different stories of what's special to them and really have meaningful conversation around the uh, dining room table or afterwards as they're sitting and, and just, you know, relaxing and spending time together, really have quality, quality conversations. You know, I, I, what this reminds me of is growing up and the relationship I had with my own grandparents and the stories they would tell that even as a, a kid that I would find so fascinating. My grandfather uh, grew up in southern Chester County, southern Lancaster County, my grandfather on my mother's side, and said that he learned to drive in 1912. And, and part of the, where he learned to, to drive is now on the Brandywine battlefield. So, wow. you know, once we went to the battlefield, he said, yeah, this is where I learned to drive. It was 1912, and he named the car. I'm like, I, I can't even, it's, it's hard to even envision that. When he was born, when he was a child, the Wright brothers were just, you know, we were just uh, flying, learning to fly, mm -hmm. drive cars. And, you know, that was just 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. So those things are so fascinating. And, and if young people are not taking advantage of that wisdom, that knowledge, that experience, that storytelling, I agree with you. They, they really should. Yeah, let's uh, take another call here for from Brenda in Mount Joy. Brenda, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, eight years ago, I was widowed at the age of 24, and I suddenly found myself in this whole community of people who were two and three times my age. And throughout the past year, eight years, I've been really involved in the widowed community and started a company called Widow Voyages. So now, when I go on these trips with these men and women. They're ages from me at 32 now up to ages 85. And we find this amazing common ground that we've all been through these similar situations, yet in all very different generations. We all deal with things kind of differently, but we have similar emotions. And I think for me that takes the idea away that we have to have a certain name to call ourselves um, 
because we're all on the same plateau. We all have to face the same journey. But I will say that I do highly respect the name Elder. I grew up in the Mennonite Church, and elders were always the people that you looked up to to give guidance to the church. Um, but for some reason, Elder Lee changes the connotation, and I have no idea why. But I do think that there's certain situations in life that give us this great opportunity to be on the same playing field, but to offer this diverse range of ideas and traditions and wisdom that we might not otherwise find. Hey, Brenda, thank you very much for your call. Uh, you know, I, I, I really appreciate the points of view that we're getting because we're yeah. hearing from all over. And it, it, first of all, it looks like our audience supports Elder, for one thing. And But secondly, I, I'm noticing, Kathy, that uh, the name doesn't really seem to be important to them. Right. And, you know, uh, we truly believe that as well. We, you know, don't want to be labeling. There are times, though, when we need to reference groups of, of people of a certain age. And it's d difficult for me when I'm even out in the community and I hear people who are providing services for the aging uh, community and they're using phrases like elderly. And I think that it's just reinforcing negative perceptions about aging and that's why you know we want to be able like when I write articles for in a newspaper or in our in uh, e-newsletter and I want to be referencing people of a certain age you know you have to sometimes use it to help categorize a group so uh, we're trying to figure out what's that right term because mm -hmm. when I first came into the work people said don't use senior that's not a good term so we used older adults but people are telling us differently based on our results. Christopher in Lancaster sends us an email saying, I'm 62 years old and I like the term elder. To me, it is a term of respect, not only from the old saw, respect your elders. It reminds me of an older style of community in which the elders were respected for their wisdom and experience. They were turned to when decisions regarding the community needed to be made. So another vote yes. for for elder there. Elder coming on here uh, in, the, in the home stretch. All right, let's go to Rebecca in Newport, Rebecca, you're on the air. Yes, um, yes, uh, thank you. A previous listener talked about daycare centers in uh, nursing homes. Yes. And I just wanted to say that there's been one at Messiah Village for 38 years. My children went there when it first opened, and when my parents lived there, they benefited from that. And it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm, I feel very grateful that they, my children and my parents, uh, benefited from that. What did yeah? What did your children and your parents get out of it? Well, the children, um, they did things like they did exercise class together. Um, the some of the older adults were hired to work with the kids, and they would come and tell me stories. They saw things with aging, and they weren't afraid. So as they've grown up to be adults, they're pretty comfortable going into nursing homes and, and dealing with older adults. Um, so that was really great to see. Plus, at one point, the daycare center started to have children come in who had disabilities. And some of those children had really great experiences with the older adults. Um, it really helped everybody to see the range of life. Mm. Hey, thank you very much for your call. But, you know, Kathy, this kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier when you mentioned your parents in a 55-plus community, that if you are experiencing these things with people not your, in your own age group, 
that you do learn some things and you learn to respect. And I guess you could say that across all groups. That's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, people integrate and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, you know, respect diversity. And this is one area of diversity to respect. And that is different age groups. That's exactly right. And that's what we're working to try to do, address those attitudes and get people thinking differently about uh, older adults. We have another uh, email here from Faith and Lancaster says people need to uh, differentiate between people 65 plus who have all their faculties and that it's different pe from people living in assisted living. Now, I'm not exactly sure what she means by that, but I, I, if I can just kind of guess, because I'm you know, just reading this from the email, uh, is that observations. You know, one of the things that you hear often, and I, I don't know if this is, fits into what she's talking about really, but so many people complain about older drivers. Uh, it, you know, th they see someone driving slowly. They look at the person and say, oh, that person is an old driver. Get out of the way. Get off the road. You shouldn't be on the road, that kind of thing. That's one area where I do see that. Going back to her point, I think that one of the points she's making is that, uh, um, you know, there are older people who, you know, their health may be failing. They may not be in as good of health as what they were when they were in their 50s, 40s. And that uh, that somehow, we, you know, we do have to respect that difference. Yeah, and just because someone might not be able to do the things that they may have been able to do years ago, that doesn't make them less than. Uh, people in all aspects of their life, regardless of where they are in their aging process and where they are in their health, they deserve to be treated with respect. They're someone that we can learn from, someone that uh, is important. And, uh, you know, we, we need to start to reframe it, how we view that, especially in the advanced stages of aging and uh, and not compare it to our, the worth of that person based on what they can do or no longer do. Mm. Uh, Becky says, uh, how about Time Lords from Doctor Who? Time Lords, I, did you get many votes for Time Lords? No. no? I, uh, as a matter of fact, I, uh, that's the first time I've heard that term. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, a cultural <laughs> reference there. Uh, okay, so what, you know, we, we, we listed the top three. What were some of the others? Now, we, we did have uh, Bill who suggested old fart, but uh, I don't know whether you got that one or not. <laughs> uh, we, we actually did have I, one person vote for would. that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, for the people who voted other, the top trends were uh, just call me an adult, uh, call me a seasoned adult, or call me a mature adult. Mm. So those were the, the top three. And then we did have people who also said, you know what, call me my name because that's what I am. So call me Jeff, call me, you know, Scott, call me Kathy, whatever. So with um, this information that uh, senior came in, number one, mm -hmm. but as we've heard, there are a lot of people out there who seem to like elder, too. Uh, how will you use this information? Sure. So uh, first of all, we'll continue to uh, have conversations in the community. But we have a training that we put together that's called Changing the Perceptions of Aging. And this training is aimed to dispel uh, misconceptions or misperceptions about aging and really start to address uh, the roots as to why we feel the way we do about older adults. So this training is for people age 18 and older, and we're taking it out into the community, to businesses, schools, to organizations, to uh, community groups, faith-based groups, and be able to start the conversation conversation as to, you know, what it is we can do to address aging. Just kind of the conversation we've had here today. Mm -hmm. We exactly. want to do that again. Um, 
I don't know. I just I I I think that our audience enjoyed this conversation. I want to say here I got one more uh, one more email I want to give here because by the way for those tuning in who uh, were looking forward to hearing uh, the author of What the Luck, where we're talking about the impact of luck. We're going to record that, and uh, we'll have a, uh, that conversation a little bit later, and I'll let you know. Lee in York says, My father used to tell me how he hayed with horses, had a big dog in the kitchen on a treadmill churning butter, and cut ice blocks on the lakes and stored it in ice houses all summer. My sons fly to Beijing to work on running websites or keep track of the geographic data from Princeton University. This makes me feel like some sort of, of linchpin, somehow holding the past and the present together. Is that common? Well, I'm sure it is common uh, for many families. But, wow, what a wonderful wealth of experiences to bring together and to document for generations to come in that family to learn from. You know, we, we talked about embracing aging before, but quickly... Talk about your organization. This is part of the uh, the York County Community Foundation, but uh, talk about this initiative in particular. Sure. So uh, the York County Community Foundation has uh, is working to create a vibrant York County. And one of the ways that we do this is by investing in high-impact initiatives. We're fortunate to have a field of interest fund called the Han Home Fund of York County, and that's specific for our work that we do in embracing aging. So uh, we're working to make York County a great place to age by expanding age-inclusive thinking, but also by reducing barriers to aging well. So we know that there's lots of challenges out there in terms of transportation and housing, health and well-being community engagement type opportunities such as work opportunities, volunteer opportunities, lifelong learning. But on top of that list is attitudes around aging. So our initiative is looking and leading and, and working to shift the culture of York County and uh, really get people thinking differently to ensure that it's a wonderful place for all ages to live. Kathy Bulger is the Managing Director of Embracing Aging. It's an initiative of the York County Community Foundation. Kathy, thank you very much for being with us today. Sure, thank you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Don't look now, but there could be another political standoff between Governor Tom Wolf and Republicans in the legislature. It could result in some 600 state employees who work with Pennsylvanians seeking unemployment compensation being laid off a week before Christmas. WITF's Radio Pennsylvania News Director Brad Christman sat down with Governor Wolf for the network's monthly Ask the Governor program. Brad, welcome to the program. Thanks, Scott. That was a great discussion you guys just had because I've been wondering how to reference you for so long, and now I've got some options. Well, which one do you decide on? I don't know. As a Doctor Who fan, I really like Time Lords. So, <laughs> Well, let's talk about the give, me, give us some background. I mean, this is a story that just has kind of popped up here in the last week or so that could have a great impact on the lives of 600 people yeah. and uh, thousands of people across the state of Pennsylvania who have lost their jobs. It, it has sort of just popped up in the last couple of weeks, but it's it really the origin goes back four years when they passed the unemployment compensation reform in, in 2012. I think it was called Act 60. Uh, You may remember there were some seasonal worker issues out of that uh, legislation. Uh, They got bumped off of the unemployment rolls. And so this was a way to kind of patch that up, repair it. Uh, The governor says about 44,000 people were added to the rolls under the legislation uh, that was uh, up in the House and Senate. And he described it as two pieces of legislation, the hard one and the easy one. The hard one is the one that basically restored 
the uh, 44,000 people. He said it was fair to employers and it uh, protected the fund overall in a way that it will be what he called very solvent by the year 2025. Uh, That passed the House and Senate easily. Uh, He signed that early this month. And again, he says that was the difficult one. So uh, I want to play you a a clip here from the show yesterday where he he picks it up. Uh, Go ahead and play cut number one. All that was needed was a technical legislation to follow that that basically just said for the next year, we're going to fund out of the fund, not out of tax money. So mm-hmm. this was free. This didn't cost. Uh, it was self-funding. Uh, uh, that it, we would fund uh, the Department of Labor and Industries' effort to transition from a pure call center to an online system that that could be automated and a lot more uh, convenient, as well as less expensive to, to taxpayers to do that. That was the the year. Passed the House overwhelmingly. I think maybe almost unanimously in the House. And then it got to the Senate. This was before that everyone adjourned for the elections, and the Senate just didn't get around to passing it. So I thought that was an oversight, so I called the majority leader of the Senate uh, before they came back. I said, I know you're not planning to vote on anything, but could you just vote on this? It's a really a technical bill, and, and there's really no controversy to it. It doesn't cost anything, and the hard part was already done. And he said, yeah, that makes sense, and, and we'll take a look at that. I didn't get any promise, but I just figured it was going to happen. My chief of staff also called and, and got, a, I think she felt, an even stronger promise. And then, out of the blue, uh, they adjourned without voting on it. When I called to ask why that was, it was that they they thought that uh, they had some cockamamie excuses like, you know, should have been done four years ago. Well, I wasn't governor four years ago. Or, uh, uh, you know, well, if it should have been done four years ago, then should have been done today, too. So I, I didn't understand the argument. So I want to roll the clock back. Remember last December when we thought we had a budget right before right, Christmas right. and the House sort of pulled the rug out from under him? It reminded me of a similar situation here where the governor's saying he thought after talking to Jake Corman personally and having his chief of staff also talk to a Senate leadership that this was going to happen. It was going to be a done deal. So again, remember what we're talking about here is what he called what should have been the easy part, the easy piece of legislation dealing with staffing, operations, computer upgrades, that sort of thing. Uh, The consequences of the Senate's failure to act is what we talked about uh, right after that. Go ahead and play cut two. Because of that, uh, we're looking at laying off almost 600 people in the labor and industry and people, those 44,000 people who are uh, you know the hard part who are going to get ex- get the benefits uh, of that that reform uh, in a in a pack in a uh, uh, unemployment compensation trust fund that, that is going to be uh, more protected than ever before. Um, but those people who are now going to benefit um, are going to have to wait in lines. They're going to have to wait in phone lines a lot longer than they would have had this been done. So I, I, I don't understand why, but I think, you know, this is um, uh, maybe the new world we're living in. Those six, almost 600 pink slips, they're going out this week? Uh, yeah, actually, the notification went out last week. It's Thanksgiving week. Yes, it is. That's exactly That's bad right. timing. That's very bad Heading timing. into the holidays. That's very bad timing. So what, what's next? You know, you already had the indication that you thought it was going to be done now. Is there an indication now that it will be done in January or early in 2017? It, it costs about a million and a half dollars every week, uh, and we don't have the authorization. So if they're not coming back till January, we can't afford to, to wait. And again, 
based on what 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 optimism should I have that that this is going to actually pass? I actually asked for it. We actually held off making the announcement because we thought that the Senate would act, uh, and then just uh, they didn't. You feeling a little burned over that? I am. Yeah. I think we ought to feel burned. I think uh, we we, we uh, uh, elections have consequences, and we're seeing some of the consequences of uh, people we voted for. Now, Brad, let me follow up on that by uh, talking about the, the Republican response to it. Yeah. Is, you know, that the Republican uh, the spokeswoman for uh, Senate Republicans said, you know, this is a crisis that the governor is making up that, uh, you know, we're not we're talking about 15 million dollars or so. I think that was the figure that could be moved around from other places in the budget. And there would, would be no need for. Uh, those those layoffs that the governor is creating this layoff crisis. And that's where it comes into, okay, it's just another political football, because which side do you want to believe? We gave that quote uh, to the governor uh, during the show, and, you know, he basically scoffed at that, and he's laying the blame at Senate Republicans' feet. The Senate Republicans are laying the blame at his feet. Uh, later in the day on Monday, Scott Wagner, the Republican senator from York County, who's been running for governor since I think the day he declared for the Senate, uh, put out an email blast in response to, you know, all of this talk that's going on. And it looks like Wagner was a key player in derailing this um, in the in the caucus discussions that were going on as to whether or not there would be a vote. Let me just read you a couple of uh, excerpts from the email. Uh, four years ago, the legislature approved $60 million per year for four years to upgrade the delivery system, talking about computer hardware and software. So over four years, the Department of Labor and Industry was given $240 million, and now they want another $57.5 million. I have had enough of zero accountability in Harrisburg. This is November of 2016. Does this sound like two sides that are going to be getting together when it's time to talk budget? Uh, in a couple of months. Well, I have to admit, that's the first thing I thought of. And it's, you know, aside from the impact it has on the lives of those who could be laid off and those who are unemployed who may have longer waits and that kind of thing, it just, it seems like a precursor. You know, last year was an election year. It was, yeah. And the budget seemed to come, I was a little surprised it came together as quickly as it did when you consider what had happened the year before. This year is not an election year as far as the governor, the legislature, and... And Republicans have shored up their advantages. They now have 122 votes in the House out of 203, and they have a veto-proof majority in the Senate, 34 to 16. Republicans are emboldened. The governor seems like he's digging in more. And let me just throw this one last thing out from the Wagner email yesterday. Uh, He claims that the governor, who's now uh, looking to either close centers or lay these people off, Wagner says that uh, he's targeting Republican districts, centers that are located in Republican districts. So this is political battle lines. This is a precursor. I I hate rhetoric. You know I don't like rhetoric. But this is a precursor to, I think, all-out political war next year. And and it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the budget. And by the way, I asked him, look, you know, budget number one that you delivered was basically a long wish list. 
he didn't get much of it. Budget number two was basically him scolding lawmakers. And I asked him, well, what, what can we expect in budget number three? He wouldn't, he wouldn't show me the cards on that. He mm. was, he was uh, very tight-lipped about what we can expect in February. An email from a listener says, I'm aware of an individual losing their job and benefits due to this issue. She's currently being treated for cancer. I realize there are 600 stories to go along with this issue, but losing your income and health insurance and you have cancer is terrible, especially when there is work to be done. You see, this is what the, the this is what I think that the people in the people, the governor's office, the legislature need to take a step back and take a look at is that. We're talking about real people. Politics is one thing. I understand what Scott Wagner's saying about accountability. I think voters want the same thing. Sure. But at the same time, is this that hill you want to die on? It, it makes you think that far too often our representatives, either in Harrisburg or in Washington, do forget that human aspect that's connected to every single decision that they have to make. This is a great example. I, I'm so sorry to hear about the the listener's friend. Uh, it's a it's a terrible time to to, uh, to have cancer and be losing your your benefits. That I can't even fathom that. Uh, but you know, it, again, as I pointed out, it's the holidays coming up too. All of these people who may be losing their jobs at, at the worst possible time of the year. This is uh, this is something that I, I I wish more lawmakers would consider. All right, so. Is there precedent? I'm sure there is, but uh, do we know of anything recently where the Senate or the legislature came back to vote on something like this, an emergency? Uh, you, you know, taking major votes after an election, after an election is, right. is almost that's, that's unprecedented. It, right. it, it's very unusual. Uh, it, there's no indication that I've seen from you know what we're seeing coming out of you know just Scott Wagner's email that there's any appetite to come back and fix this. Uh, you heard me ask the governor, do you think that it would happen in January or early 2017? And his answer indicated, well, it's it's already too late by then. These layoffs are still going to have to happen because I think he said it's costing a million and a half a week. Uh, but what about what, what the Republicans said is that the governor can move some money around to keep this from happening? Well, that's again, that comes into, okay, well, here's the political posturing. Who, who do you believe? Um, the governor doesn't seem to indicate that that was an option for him. I would think, you know, that uh, you would consider something like that before you would consider layoffs or closing these centers. Uh, but again, which side do you believe? This is the political posturing that we're seeing. And again, it's coming here in November of 2016. And there's a lot of work to be done. You know, they still haven't done pension reform. Remember, right. we, th that's something that everyone's knows they still have to do. Well, it's okay. You say everyone knows. I mean, this has been a priority. You mentioned Senator Corman, mm -hmm. uh, majority leader. That has been his number one priority for the past two years. And it's been done in incremental ways, but not to the degree that uh, Senator Corman and uh, Senate Republicans want it to be done. Mm -hmm. It's got to be dealt with. It does. It does. And, and the governor has admitted to that, too, in, in past shows. We talked about that. He knows it's a looming issue as well. Brad Crispin is WITS Radio Pennsylvania News Director. Brad, thanks for the insight. Thanks, Scott. Coming up on uh, tomorrow's program, we've done this a few times, and it's always a popular program. You know, Thanksgiving uh, weekend is the biggest travel holiday weekend of the year. We're going to have a couple state troopers on the program tomorrow to answer your questions about traffic laws.